Church, whether you're in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, wherever it is that you are, pray that you find that God's with you. And as we get ready to look at his word, look at his the scriptures here and experience Jesus through this, we, we want to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, you're good. And this season is a little dizzying, it's a little confusing, and yet we know that you're good, we know that you're present. I've heard from many people that they're experiencing how near you are. We pray that this morning as we open up scripture that we, we see you, we hear you, we experience you. And so guide our hearts, Holy Spirit, we ask that you move, Jesus, be the living word at work within us. As many of you know, we are in the fourth week of this series, I Love You to Death and Back. And it began with this idea of, I love you to death, a phrase that my grandma used to say. And, and it was a cute saying, it's a cute phrase, and we looked at, well, it's, it's great if somebody loves you that much, but what really changes them? What made us look at Jesus and the fact that he loved me to death on the cross, but it didn't, it didn't end See, he loved you to death and back. And that power that conquered death changes everything for you and for me. The fact that Jesus loves us that much changes everything. And that's what we're looking at. We're kind of slow walking this, I know. But I believe that if we live as people who are loved, this world looks different. If we live here at 4th at and O, for this neighborhood as the beloved, then everything around us is different. And so the, the second week we looked at if Jesus really loved us to death and back and the power that raised him from the dead lives within us, then those condemning voices, they just don't matter. That cry within your heart for, for the Father, that's the Holy Spirit at home and at work within you. And so we can take confidence in that. And then last week we looked at our identity and John's words that you are a child of God because God said so. And if you had a parent like, like I did or like I am, you know, sometimes when the father or the mother says so, that's the end of it. And in all your wrestling with identity, well, God, your father said, you are my child because I said so. And that just settles it. But if all of this is taking place, not just in our mind, not in our intellect, but if it's starting to filter into our being, into who we are, if all of it sinks in and begins to live in us in real ways, then what's next? You see, the goal is not simply that you are loved. It's not simply that you are a child of God and then you just sit there looking pretty. You're not there for family photos. That's not what this is about. God doesn't go out and do his work and then come back just to have you be his gorgeous child next to him. No. In fact, you are beloved so that you can enter into the family business. And this is where you take part in the flourishing of all of God's creation. So we're going to spend some time going back to the creation account that we get in Genesis 1. But I want to remind you that this was not written in real time. It wasn't like in the evening of day one, somebody was a reporter who, who wrote breaking news in day one and day two and day three. Instead... 
This was recorded much later to a people who had begun to forget who they were and begin to forget who God was. And so Genesis 1 is written as this beautiful poetry and a reminder of what was. And so we're going to start here in, in verse 3 and in verse 4. It says that, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This seems overly simple. If we are churched, we have probably read this 10,000 times. But think about this for a second. God created with a word. The text says to these people who are defeated and have forgotten who God is, the text says that God said with his word, let there be light. And then to an earth that has not known light, light appeared. That's phenomenal. We don't know what was before except that there was chaos. We don't know what else was really going on there. There was this formless void. That's about it. But he spoke light, and then there was light. And the very next thing that he says is he speaks separation. He says, hey, light, I want you to come over here. And darkness, you, you come over here, and there's room for you both. And he, he created with word, and then he brought order to light and to darkness. Now, this is all lost on us because we have light switches, right? We turn things on and off just at will. Even our phones have flashlights. And if for some reason our power goes out, we lose our minds. But he speaks to a people who are all too familiar with darkness. And darkness was scary. When it was dark, you went inside because there you were protected and safe. Maybe you had a candle or two. But in the darkness, you slept. And you trusted that there was a powerful God who would look over you. And this text reminds us that this powerful God who looks over us created light with his word and allowed for darkness because he wasn't afraid and brought separation between the two. It goes on. In, in verse 9, we see, And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry earth land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. So God made the, the land and the seas. I love this. And I wonder if it was like, you remember studying like plate tectonics in science class? I wonder if God was just moving it by plates and they kind of drifted and made the fault lines and this kind of stuff. And God wasn't afraid of it because, well, God's God. I wonder how he rose up mountain ranges and the depths of the seas and the mountains within the seas. You know, we so don't understand the oceans. There are entire mountain ranges in the ocean. And God did that, and I believe God did that playfully. And I believe that God did that with great joy. And if we read the text, we see that it is the Trinity at work. There is a royal they that is being talked about. I believe that the Father was like, look at this one, Jesus. And Jesus was like, Holy Spirit, take a look. Check this out. And these great depths that we haven't discovered yet were formed. And the great heights that we haven't found yet that we can't fathom yet were formed. And I, I, don't, I don't think he like formed this as like just baby mountains. I think because it's more creative and more beautiful, he put those layered looks into the earth. The bright colors and the vivid 
beauty of creation. He did it with the word. That's the power of God's word. The power of God creating. And remember, that's the power that raised Jesus from the dead that now lives within you. Next, he created trees. And I, I really think they started simple. I mean, not that any tree is simple, but I think they were like, hey, you know, let's, let's create an oak. And they looked, they're like, that's a cool tree. What if, we, what if we had the trunk be white? Let's create a birch. And they made a birch tree, and they're like, that's cool. How about a maple? And then I believe one of the ones in the Trinity, I mean, just imagine with me. I'm not saying this is exactly how it happened, but I imagine that one of the members of the Trinity was like, hey, what if we made one, like, kind of prickly? That'd be cool. And all of a sudden, this pine tree was formed. And they meant, no, like really prickly, like pointy prickly. And they're like, oh, like this. And they made a cactus. And they just spread all of these beautiful shrubs and trees all over the place. And I don't think they were just baby little seeds. I think they came out as like 100-year-old redwoods. And there was awe and there was beauty in this creation and this order as these trees went this way and these trees went this way and they matched the surroundings and earth and the water and everything around. I think this was beautiful. Then he goes on and he makes all the animals. God creates and he hasn't stopped. See, he has not stopped creating. He's still making new fingerprints, new patterns, creation is unbelievable. So in the animals, there's this particular animal I want to introduce you to if you don't know. It's called the mantis shrimp. He's, he's my buddy. He's neither a praying mantis nor a shrimp, but what people think that he is. And so check it out. This is the mantis shrimp all dressed up for the Oscars. All colorful and beautiful in its best gown. You know what took us till the 1800s to find out that this thing even existed? And there's hundreds of forms of this shrimp. Let me tell you a little bit about how fancy and creative this one is. The two eyes on this shrimp, they move independently. So they're like two different cameras that can span and see everything. And so something can be far on this side and far on this side. And they can see them both at the same time. These eyes, they have 16 different color cones. So they see colors that we don't see. You could drop a piece of clear glass or plastic into the ocean and the shrimp would see it. We would run right into it, but a shrimp would see that it's there. In fact, the eyes are so unbelievable that it is believed in Australia where they're studied that they can see cancerous cells because light hits these cells different. And where you and I have limits to the colors that we can see, well, these shrimp that aren't really shrimp can see things we can't. This one shrimp, the California mantis shrimp makes this sound. If a predator comes by, the shrimp calls out to the other shrimp. And it's not like, ee, 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 ee. it's not like this little baby sound. It's like this sci-fi sound that movie directors and sound studios dream that they could come up with. Google it. It's this deep, like, like alien monster sound that is unbelievable, coming from this tiny little four centimeter to 16 centimeter long shrimp. They're categorized in two groups. These should be the next two sports teams that come into any league. They're called the Spearers and the Smashers because that's what these two do. Half the shrimp spear what they're eating. The other half, 
smash them. And their smashers are formed in a way that they handle the vibration of crushing its prey, but never wear out the smasher. So they can go all day, like Donkey Kong, just smashing stuff. These shrimp are unbelievable. Before streaming was taking off, scientists were studying their eyes because they believed that the next Blu-ray technology was coming out of the shrimp's eye. They studied it to find out how light works and what all they can form in a small surface because if this itty-bitty eyeball can do all that it does, well, maybe we could see more color on our TVs. In fact, the new cancer-detecting cameras that are coming out are formed in studying this tiny little shrimp. Because if that tiny little shrimp could see a cancerous tumor before it forms, maybe we can develop technology that sees that as well. All of this and more in a tiny four to 16 centimeter shrimp. When God was like, hey, let there be mantis shrimp, he wasn't kidding. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's majestic. You see, our God is unbelievably creative and he gives order for space to flourish for everything. That's what he uses order for, for the flourishing. So these shrimp can be extra shrimpy and that oak can be extra oaky. And all of this can be extra what it was created to be. And so creation happens and order happens to make room for all that God has made so that flourishing might happen. And finally, we get to you and me. Genesis 1 and 28 says that God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. We like that part. And then he says, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now this dominion, this subduing the earth, we've done most of this as we've forgotten our story. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we're loved. We've forgotten that God is over us and that that is not him lording over us in a cruel and mean fashion. And so we have taken dominion and, and subduing. And what we've done is like gone and bought that beautiful shrimp for less than $50. Put it in a cage in our living room. That's not what he needs. I remember this one time I was in Ethiopia with, with Nikki. And we were with her friend Alazar. We were out shopping. And Alazar taught me a lesson. You see, we're shopping in the market. And the market's like T-shirts and wooden goods and all these made things that are really cool. And he goes to this little bucket that's full of rocks, beautiful rocks that were mined out of somewhere. And he's picking them up and he's looking at them. And there's so much joy on his face, more joy than there is if I bought a brand new car that he had on his face as he looked at these rocks. And me and my arrogant Westernness came up and I was like, hey, Alizar, I'll buy you a rock. I'll buy you two. Do you want those? And Alzar looked up at me and he said, Matt, anytime I want to enjoy these, I just come enjoy them. And he sat him back down and walked to the next door. And he didn't need to own it. He didn't need to control it. He need, didn't need the rocks to be dictated by his life. Instead, he was really one who savored creation. And that's much more our posture. You see, God created and sustained creation. And our purpose is to continue as his image. We're to create. We're to order. 
and sustained. This means that we are intended to create, to be creative. We're intended to bring order and organization. And we're to use both of these for the flourishing of all of God's creation. But we can only do this as his beloved. You see, part of what happens is when we forget that we're loved, or when we're never aware that we are loved, what we do is we come to this like creative idea. And without the identity of being loved, creation becomes competition. And so we start to act like there's only one spot, and so I compete against you, and it's who can produce the best, the fastest. Creation becomes about copying. And so I'm going to take your work. Creation becomes about cutting down. Creation becomes about scarce resources. There's not enough. And so we just fight and claw as if God isn't big enough and as if there's not enough for us to yet create. But when we're loved, creation looks completely different. When we're living love, creation looks like a breath of fresh air. Creation became, becomes this song that was birthed within you or this painting that's happening. Personally, I, I like to write, and sometimes I'm not necessarily good at it, but sometimes things come out as even poetry, where just something is born within me that I have to produce. But quickly, I know that half of you are like, well, I'm not creative. I can't even draw a stick figure, so I'm done. And you're checking out till I get to my next point. I think that is a way of limiting what creation is. Yesterday, you know how I created? I threw my smoker on. I threw some meat on there. It was seasoned up the way that I like. And I created a meal. And most days, I create a meal. Sometimes we eat leftovers, but we create a meal that's my gift of love to my family. And it's a breath of fresh air as we enjoy something. It's not necessarily original. I made the same thing before. But it's creative. I see that some of you are painting. But I also see some of you are gardening. That's creating. You're creating space in your yard for new life to sprout up. I see that you're creating photos and memories, that you're creating phrases that go with that photo so that it can be a reminder year after year of what life looks like here. You're encouraging one another and being a breath of fresh air with words and with images and with life. That is creating. Let's stop having a super limited understanding. Let's Stop acting like the only ones who can create are the professionals or the experts. No, every one of us, by the way that we spend our day, we create sentences. We create moments. Let's savor that and lean into that. Not as if we need to compete, but out of our belovedness. Now, some of us lean way more to order. It's where we are. We organize and we order. But without the identity of being beloved, we become really controlling. And so everything we come near, we don't bring order or organize. We just control it to look in a way that makes us more comfortable, in a way that makes us feel more safe. We end up tightening down and being strict, making room for insiders within and outsiders outside. But you see, when God separated the sea from the land, it was not about dividing and limiting. It was about making space for both to flourish. By doing that, he made room for two. He made room for everything that lived in the sea and everything that lived on the land. Every plant that lived in the sea 
every plant that lived on the land. You see, he made more room by bringing organization in order. And when we live as beloved, that's exactly what we do. We bring order. We make room. We take what was chaotic and we simplify it. We take what was forgotten and all of a sudden bring the forgotten within. We make sense of the world that is way too confusing way too often. If you're somebody who naturally brings order and organization, you are a gift, and that gift is brought into you at your creation. It's Genesis 1 kind of stuff. That your role is to bring life and flourishing by saying, hey, this belongs here with the light, and this belongs here with the darkness. This belongs here with the land, and this belongs here with the sea. What you're doing is making sense out of life, don't ever play like that's little. Don't ever play like there's not room for that. That is necessary for everything to flourish. Let's look at where this might play out in a New Testament text. Particularly, let's look at what it would look like to live in this as beloved. And let's look at what it would look like if we'd forgotten our story. Matthew Nine, starting at 35, says when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to invite you to open up your imagination for a moment. I know this is a little uncomfortable for some of us, but I want you to try. Go ahead and look at that text again in your in your Bible if if you want, but I want to I want to add a little bit of like color commentary to what Matthew is showing us here. See, Jesus is going city to city. He's seeing these people who are desperate. These people who have forgotten or never heard their story. These people who don't know that God wants to be with and for and within them. The people of lack. Jesus looks at them and says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He doesn't say that in a condemning voice. He says that with all compassion in the movement of God's kingdom for them. I believe he gets to a hill and looks out down the hill, down into the fields. And we know that at this time, most people wore cream or if, if you've got some money, some real clean, like white cloth, right? They wore it kind of how we would call a robe, but that's not what it was. But I believe he looked out and could see just hundreds, if not thousands of little people represented by their, by their clothes, just little cream and white colored dots of people and I believe that he said there to his disciples the harvest is plentiful because if you looked out they looked like cotton I believe it looked like a harvest to be picked like maybe little pieces of wheat or little pieces of cotton that needed to to be picked and and brought home and brought in and I think he looked out at them and said the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few and so ask the Lord of the harvest to send out 
the laborer. You see, for some reason, laborers are, are kept back. So they need to be sent out. But if we're living outside of our belovedness, if we're living outside of the fact that God deeply loves us to death and back in a way that those condemning voices are shot down and in a way where our identity is completely found in him, if we're outside of that, then we hear that verse. We hear those words and we look over at that field of people and we think, I've got to win them over. I've got to make them come to my team. I've got to make them count on my part of the spreadsheet. I've got to add them to my tally. I've got to make them insiders. I'm going to do all this. I am going to be the greatest to prove something. I've got to go win them. But I believe Jesus was speaking, inviting all of us to live within our belovedness. And it's much less about competition. Instead, I believe that we look out and we see all of these cream-colored or white-colored robes, these people who look like wheat or cotton, and I believe that we should realize that they are looking for God, that they're desperate for God, that they're looking for identity and purpose, that they want meaning in their life, and they want peace. They want so much peace, and they don't know where to get it, and I believe Jesus looks at them and says, that's the harvest. My God sent us to bring peace to bring fulfillment to their lives, not to your tally, but to their lives. And so in our belovedness, we're to go give of everything that we have. You see, when we live grounded in the truth that we are loved, we're sent into the world to proclaim that this love is not exclusive. It's not mine. I get to benefit from it. I get to live in it, and I live in it in a way where God, sometimes I feel like God only loves me because he loves me so much. There are some mornings where I feel like I'm his only boy. But reality is there is nothing I did except pay attention to my heart's cry where the Holy Spirit is at work calling out to my Father, and then accept, okay, God, love me, and let me live out of that. And my living out of that means that I go into this world exactly as he's called me to be creating and ordering to make room for all to know that he is God. So let me speak for a minute to where we are right now. I know that currently we are safe at home. But I also know there's an invitation in the next couple weeks to come back together. I know there are dates being set, and some people are really eager to return to what was, and a lot of us are skeptical, and that's for good reason. And I want you to know that life won't return to the same. And here at One Church, we don't want it to. We don't want to have the exact same way that we used to have, because frankly, we were praying that God would change some things. And I believe that right now, God is changing some things. And so we're not going to rush back. Though I miss you desperately, we're not rushing back just to see one another. Instead, we're trusting that God's at work. Our leadership team is actually meeting today. We're praying through this, making a plan. We'll tell you the plan. That any date that we ever give is going to be real tentative because we're going to continue to follow the Holy Spirit. 
But here's one of the things that I do know. I know what this world is desperately needing right now. This world is desperately needing creative ways to live with one another. Desperately needing creative ways that maybe we can begin to see one another. This world is desperate for people to, to have an order, an organization to make this complex life more doable. To tear down these structures that have just separated us and divided us but instead come up with a way that orders life that makes it simple and makes the, those who are made in his image be served and treated like those who are made in his image. That takes great organization. That takes great creativity. This world is desperate for the flourishing of all of creation. And that sure sounds exactly like who our God has called all people to be. I believe we have an opportunity right now unlike any opportunity we've ever had before if we live love and not just keep that in our homes and not just in our backyard but let that leak out of our social media out of our phone calls out of our mailboxes eventually out of our footsteps and our handshakes or our elbow shakes or whatever it is if we take this opportunity to allow god to and his love to penetrate all of us and to leak out in our creativity, in our order, in our flourishing. If we do this, we have an opportunity like, like we have never had before. This is the time. I don't really care what was, either at the church or in culture. I don't care. If we meet different, if we do things different, that's great. I think we should. Because the way we were doing it was really pushing some out and pushing some in. But in this season to come, I believe that you and me and all those who live beloved, I believe we were created for this. You see, you are his children. Because he said so. And so now let's be about the family business. Now let's see his kingdom. Some of you might have some things to sort through, to talk about, to have somebody pray over you. Some of you need God to unleash his creativity in you. Or you need to repent for, for closing it off before. Some of you need to see how God wants to use your, your order and organization within you. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray. There's a group that's available to pray with you in just a couple minutes. They'd love to hear your heart, pray God's spirit over you. There are some of you who this is brand new. And if it's brand new, this idea that you are beloved, that you have a family that you belong in and you have a purpose that this world is desperate for you to live up to. Well, again, I want to invite you to pray. I want you to announce to some people that you're in, that your heart is crying out to Father. For all of us in this moment, let's use this as preparation time. That God is preparing one church for what it is that we were created for. What it is that we came together for. You know, we never came together just to be friends. That would be enough for me. We came together to be friends before the world to say that God is creating a whole nother people. A people who are beloved and everybody who wants to be is invited in. And we'll go proclaim that. We'll create new ways to say it. We'll bring order and simplicity wherever we can, and we'll watch the flourishing starting at 4th and 9th. I believe we'll see his kingdom come.
and his will be done right here, just like it is in heaven. Until that day, we'll continue to seek that and live as beloved. God, we ask that you would do these things within us, that we would recognize your Holy Spirit at work, that we'd be about the family business. In your name.